0: It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports, stories, comments and opinions. Touchdown, San Diego. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Thursday afternoon as we head towards the great sports weekend. Good afternoon everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton from our studios in San Diego with my co-host John Riley. You can't believe it. It's 116 degrees outside in San Diego in my driveway. We are inside. We got a lot of hot topics on the table to talk about. John, we're not talking politics. We're not going to talk weather. How are you? (laughs) I'm
1: doing well. (laughs) This is a great time of the year with a trade deadline approaching for Major League Baseball.
0: Football's getting started. I mean, Hacksaw's headlines is loaded today. We have got a ton of topics on the table before we start, John, when we're done with our live stream today, we're going to open up the Fans Forum segment for everybody that views us on our weekly podcast. How can those on live stream join and be part of what we're doing?
1: Yeah, so you can get involved in Fans Forum. Just type in your comment or question for Hacksaw in the live chat on Facebook or on YouTube. We'll get you involved. We always have like a ton of people. And our last, last podcast, it was really loaded. Hard to fit everybody in.
0: Question: What kind of idiot wears dark clothes in hundred sixteen degree weather outside your front door? Well, the kind of idiot that's inside where it's air conditioned. Well said. Okay, <laughs> let's start. We're going to talk baseball because we got pennant races to talk about, and we're marching towards the trade deadline, and a couple of bullets have already been fired. Oh my God!
1: I mean, the the, the Pittsburgh Padres series, which is such a disaster, is this
0: finally the end? What do I you don't think? think it is the end. You're talking about the end on the field, the end in the front office, the end in the clubhouse. What are you talking above. about? All the above. <laughs> Here's the burning question. I mean, the Padres are staggering. They lose two of three to Pittsburgh at home. They lost two of three to Washington at home. They lost two of three to Kansas City at home. They have never won an extra inning game. All their statistics are skewed towards abysmal. And yet, you can't buy a ticket to a home game. I mean, to me, it's phenomenal. The Padres have now had 40 sellouts at home this season, Amazing. 18 sellouts in a row. Now, I'm just curious is there ever going to be a response from the fans to what they're seeing as this team is now seventh, fighting for three playoff spots, and now they're into the teeth of the next stretch of the schedule where they got to play Texas, they got to go to Colorado, they got four with the Dodgers, then they get first place Baltimore. I don't know how they survived this. And that's that's a real question you just posted. With the fans continuing to pour into Petco Park, is it really a vote of confidence to A.J. Preller? How come there has not been a revolt from the fans over what we're seeing on the field? Very briefly, uh, you're accepting the product on the field. That is stunning to me. I look at the players. I've listened to these players. It's like these players, John, have emotionally now caved in. They don't have any answers. They lose all these series to substandard teams at home. John, their record against teams that are 500 or worse when they play them is 31 and 36. <laughs> this team is 24 and 25 at Petco Park. And here's another issue as we march towards the Monday night trading deadline they're over the budget as it relates to the third tier of the luxury tax when you take their payroll and the benefits which go into that accounting there are 277 million they are already over the third threshold Of the luxury tax Which means their first round draft picks get penalized And they go farther back And if they go over the next threshold If they make some type of significant trade Then there's monster tax It's like a dollar per dollar You lose international money from the signing pool They are painted in such a bad corner Right now Because of that guy That general manager A.J. Preller So fans, fanatics Cheer, cheer, cheer for the home team Is there ever going to be an uprising over what we're seeing on the field? And what's your take about what's going on in the clubhouse? Uh, It's so frustrating. I saw this
1: graphic on on Twitter, and it was like the Padre fans, they are disappointed. Then they start to win. You get hope. You begin to believe, and then you get disappointed again. And it's a cyclical thing. But the fans yesterday um, in the ninth inning, they were all there. Go home team. They were cheering them on. I think we're still optimists. We still think they have a chance, but I think as fans, we're just not accepting the reality of the situation. And the reality is, is they suck. And I hate saying that because I thought they assembled a great roster. It's just not working. You're waving a white flag. I, I'm saying you've got to make a, a call here, one way or the other. I don't think. I think AJ Preller is going to go all in. But as far as I'm concerned, for the longevity of this franchise, you've got to wave a white flag and retool for next year.
0: See, I totally disagree. You can't trade these star players. A, I don't know how really marketable these star players are with the the long contracts and the big dollar figure. You trade anybody between now and Monday night at midnight, that's a terrible sign to the fans who supported you so from a record setting standpoint, with season ticket sales and 40 sellouts already. I just don't know that you can do that. And by the way, I don't want to see any of the guys at A or AA because they've got another cluster of kids coming a couple years from now. I don't want to see him trade any more guys away. He's traded the farm system away twice. (laughs) And he's spent beyond the budget. And where are they? They're seventh of the teams fighting for the three playoff spots, and they're a long distance back from making it. But I just can't see them busting this thing up. I think maybe you address the shortcomings, and there obviously are in the offseason, but how do you address it when your top four guys, and then you add in what the top pitchers are getting, are making such a phenomenal amount of money? I'm not calling for anybody's head, but somewhere along the line, there's got to be some accountability here. You know, before we get to the offseason as to who's to blame for the shame of what this is. And part of it's in the clubhouse. Part of it might be in the dugout where the manager. Man, I think a chunk of it's that guy, A.J. Preller. Well, the fans just storm into Petco Park because it's a great time out. That's a vote of confidence to Preller. Nobody's holding him accountable for anything. How can that be?
1: I, I, it's amazing. because I think we all have the faith. We all are, are glass half full. But we're not, we're evading reality. And that's the challenge here. Uh, but, you know, it's like that Einstein quote, you know, you keep repeating the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. That's what we've been doing. And so, you know, you can maybe get another guy here to plug in. I mean, what, what'd you think about in a game where ninth inning, they had the big rally, Soto comes up with a, you know, hurt his finger, but he still got a walk. And then here comes, you know, what's the kid's name? Taylor Cowley or, you know,
0: some, Triple-A guy, nice kid, instead of Matt Carpenter, who's being paid $12 million yes. over two years, although he hasn't done anything of late. You would think you'd want some experience in there, as bad as that experience player has shown lately. But I concur. Now, if we're going to start talking Bob Melvin mistakes, yeah, there's a laundry list there, and Preller's mistakes. And yeah. Holy cow. Not good. Okay. <laughs> That's the story on the Padres. <laughs> okay. Hey, fans forum question. You're on with us on live stream. Your response. You're going to continue to support this team. Give us an opinion. Is it on Preller? Is it on Melvin? Is it on the guys in the clubhouse? Let's go from the Padres to a team that has started to move some players and seems like it wants to solidify its roster.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I noticed they, they've already made some deals. You knew they were going to do something up in
0: L.A. What's going down? Dodgers have made two trades to get infielders. They obviously have never recovered from the spring training knee injury that wiped out the season for Gavin Lux. They've tried a lot of different guys at short. They're being very ineffective in terms of what they're doing at second base. In fact, they sent the, the rookie Miguel Vargas back to AAA already. The Dodgers trade for utility man Kiki Hernandez. He comes back from the Red Sox in a deal for a young minor league relief pitcher, Nick Robertson. Hernandez can play a whole pile of positions. He's kind of a Chris Taylor type Mm -hmm. player. Then they make a more significant trade, which really surprised a lot of people. They traded for the starting shortstop of the Indians, Ahmad Rosario, once red hot prospect with the New York Mets. He was part of the Francisco Lindor Cleveland New York Mets deal a couple years ago Rosario has hit pretty well he's hitting 265 this season which is less than he hit the last couple years pretty athletic guy played really well defensively at shortstop he's kind of lagged a little bit defensively this year but the Dodgers get this guy who's granted he can be a walk free agent at the end of the season but the guy's been productive and all it cost him is Noah Syndergaard. And there was nothing that led you to believe Syndergaard could ever be what Thor was when he pitched for the New York Mets. That, that to me, seems to be an awful lopsided trade on behalf of the Dodgers to get Rosario. You put Rosario in a lineup with Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez, he's probably going to hit back to where he hit before. And the other thing, so they've made two trades, and they haven't moved any of their kid pitchers yet. Mm -hmm. So there's still the ability to maybe go get a starting pitcher— to plug in here, whether it's a two-month rental or it's the right to get a guy to sign the guy to an extension, because I think everybody would want to stay with with the Dodgers. Um, So they still have all their young blue-chip pitching prospects, and one of those chips could be used as trade bait to go get somebody else's starting pitcher to plug into what right now is a rather wafer-thin rotation. So Andrew Friedman has a history of making deals, some big, some small. Obviously, the the, the huge deal for Max Scherzer two years ago woke everybody up. And, it, you know, of course, prior to that, the, the Dodgers made blockbuster deals with Mookie Betts and Adrian Gonzalez. You recall all that with the Boston Red Sox, et cetera. So Dodgers, they still got the bargaining chips, and they could take one out of their pocket probably in the next 48 hours and go get another pitcher. Response? Well, we've been talking about how they –
1: need pitching so I was surprised it get two shortstops I mean so Vargas gets sent down to AAA has there been other problems in their middle infield that they need defensive players are they
0: looking at them more for their bat I think they're looking more for them at the bat you know they made the deal in spring training to get uh, Rojas from the Miami Marlins and he had a good history gold glove and did hit well in seasons hasn't hit worth a lick at Dodger Stadium, so I think he becomes a utility guy with Kiki Hernandez. Uh, but but there's no doubt that Rosario is a cut above anything that's been a shortstop since Gavin Lux mm. went down. Okay, from that, let's go to what happened in Anaheim, and boy, there were decisions made, lickety split, and then action made on those decisions at Angel Stadium. Yeah, it was a real shocker. I mean, we've been talking about how Otani might be
1: dealt, and now everything flipped on its ear.
0: I was told Artie Moreno met with the general manager and told him, let's go all in. Let's roll the dice. Let's make these deals. Let's turn down any trade proposal for Otani. At the end of the day, baseball people and the national guys are reporting there have been seven different trade offers for Otani. That includes stuff from the Yankees, obviously what's gone out of Dodger Stadium. Uh, The latest were Baltimore and Tampa got into the mix because they got really deep farm systems. Seattle was also in the mix. The Angels after a week of deliberation and when we did the Monday podcast, the bonus podcast, I told you that I had been told that the Angels are just really torn Mm -hmm. what they should do with Otani. And because Nevin has driven these guys to, they're, they're winning games again. They've won six of their last eight. Nice, And they've had these spurts, they have bad stretches but they're so beat up. But anyhow, Artie Moreno said I'm going all in. Let's keep Otani. Let's go outside, make the deal, deals, see what we can get done. And they did. And they turned around, and they were the ones that struck. And it's a bit of a controversial trade. They got Lucas Giolito from the White Sox, who's probably the hottest starter that was on the board. He's a walk-free agent in November, but we'll worry about November in November. He can start. He's going to start this weekend in Toronto. Guy has... Been a, uh, I think a, a rugged frontline starting pitcher first with the Jays then with the Sox with bad teams around him. Now he's now he's got Otani as a teammate. Now of course there is no Trout, there is no Rendon, but collectively these guys are playing really hard. So they they get Lucas Giolotto. And they get a setup reliever, Reynaldo Lopez had a 1.24 ERA over the past couple of months in Chicago. They give up a double-A catcher. They don't need a catcher. They have a catcher already in Logan O'Hop that they really like. And they give up a Class A pitcher who had an ERA of plus 7. Now, granted, mm-hmm. those are really young guys. Those were highly regarded prospects. But that could be three or four years down road. They're worried about the next two months of the season. So they get Giolotto. In addition, keep this in mind that that general manager, Perry, had gone into the marketplace prior and had acquired plug-in guys who've got history. Mike Moustakas, ex-Royal, ex-Red, he's won three games for them in two weeks with his bat. Nice. Uh, and they, you know, he's the same guy that made the deal to get the leadoff hitter. Look where Mickey Moniak is mm-hmm. and what he's become playing center field for the Halos. Nobody could have expected that. Uh, I've been told that they're still talking about pitching they're talking to Washington about third baseman Jamer Candelario, who's a walk free agent, hitting two fifty five with some power. Are talking to the White Sox about setup reliever Joe Kelly. Now that they got Giolito. so I mean, it, to me, it's absolutely amazing how aggressive the Angels become once the owner decided, "I'm all in. We're going to keep Otani, and we'll try to sign Otani at the end of the season." And by the way, let's see if we can get to the playoffs and play games in October. So that's where are the Halos' reaction?
1: It sounds like the Padres. I mean, they're in both cases, both teams have all these big contracts that, that everyone expected them to win. The owner can't hit the reverse button and undo everything he's done because it would be a terrible PR move for the fans. And so I think the owner of the Angels, Dardy Moreno, and probably the owner of the Padres, Peter Seidler, they've got to just put all their chips on the table. It's interesting.
0: The only difference is... The halos have been wrecked by injuries. Mm-hmm. You lose Mike Trout for eight weeks again, fluke injury with a wrist. Rendon can't stay on the field. Three injuries this season, five injuries in the last two years. That looks like a bad investment, but who saw that coming? A guy was a workhorse when he played third base for the Washington Nationals. So the Angels have have committed to keep Otani, and now we'll see if they can chase down. They're only four games out of the wild card spot. They were winning both games of their doubleheader today in Detroit, and then they'll go face the Blue Jays, which that's a series that carries a lot of importance because you don't want to come out of there with a losing streak. And they get a couple wins at, at Skydome at, at Rogers Place. Then they might right be back in the wild card playoff race with Otani and now with Giolito. To go with Otani in the rotation. And with
1: Mike Trout coming back at well, some point. Well, that's eight weeks, though. But it, he's already been on the disabled list for, what, three or four, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. So he'll, he's potentially going to come back around September 1st, maybe early September. But imagine if the stars align like that and all of a sudden Trout can carry them into the playoffs. I mean, it, it's got a, a Disney-esque possibility here.
0: You're playing fan again, aren't you? Yes. Fanatical. (laughs) Okay, let's move on, talk about the business side of baseball, because this story's got got some unique hooks to it.
1: Yeah, I saw he got the contract extension, but we're all asking, what has he really done for baseball?
0: Oh, ye of little faith. (laughs) Rob Manfred gets a four-year contract extension that goes through 2029. He replaced a very unpopular Bud Selig. He, of course, had been in the commissioner's office, comes from a labor relations background, had a long working relationship with the Players Association. There's been a lot of peace in Major League Baseball in terms of collective bargaining agreements. So what has he accomplished? I'll run through the list that just came off the top of my head. Labor peace with Tony Clark, for the most part. Everybody is making money in baseball. The creative rule changes. I think generally everybody across the board, John, is of the opinion that everything they did, pitch, clock, etc has really helped baseball. TV ratings are up. Attendance is up a good 4 to 8% most of these markets. A lot of people think that's got to do with pace of play, etc. cetera, the banning of the shift, more offense back in baseball. He streamlined the minor leagues, which was a very controversial move two years ago. When they folded about 40 lower minor league teams including a couple of leagues and what they did as a trade-off is they ordered major league baseball teams to better compensate all their minor league players and this past season is the first season these pay raises for all these guys whether you're a Class A Dubuque or you're Double A San Antonio or you're Triple A or you're at the Rookie League Complex everybody got a pay bump Nice. In addition, all major league teams have to pay for quality housing. We're not going to go through a scenario where the stories were broke last year that there were seven Caribbean players on one minor league team sharing a one-bedroom apartment and sleeping on the floors and on the couches and sleeping bags. I mean, it was a terrible indictment of baseball's behind-the-curtain operations of minor league baseball. So Manfred has kind of driven that through with Tony Clark alongside as as his right hand man to get this done. And baseball's revenue, when Bud Selig left, it was four million dollars a year. Nowhere's near what the NFL is under Manfred with all the creative stuff. Their gross revenue is now eleven billion.
1: So 11? from
0: four to eleven. 4 to 11. Wow. That's like three times almost. It's almost equal to the National Football League. And then in addition, Manfred and his people taking a hit with what happened with Diamond Sports and Ballet Sports creatively came up with a template and a formula. If this happens, if the regional sports networks go down and they're, they're falling like dominoes, this is what we're going to do to integrate... He's come up with the idea of Team 30, the streaming service. Not everybody's bought into it yet, but they've already bailed out the Padres. They've bailed out Arizona. They're going to probably take over three to four more teams end of season or in the off season. So what he's done is he's now developed a new template for what streaming on TV will be. And, of course, they've expanded the game globally, not just in Mexico City or not just in Japan, Potters are going to Seoul, South Korea. We had what happened in London, England, which was a raging success. So under Manfred's leadership, they've really made a lot of progress in the business issues of the game, in addition to the rule changes, which I think across the board, most people like.
1: Yeah. And I like the rule changes as well. They got a few bugs to work out, but overall good. But in the end, right, money talks right? B.S. walks, money talks. And if he's gone from $4 billion to $11 billion in revenue, I mean, that's well worth an extension. But you're, you're a baseball historian, and there's been a lot of very famous commissioners of baseball. How do you think Manfred ranks? Does he have the same kind of presence of a Bowie Coon or, um, you know, Kennesaw, Mountain Landis? How would I, you put him?
0: You're going back a thousand years, but I think each era has had struggles uh, we had the era where Donald Fair led the union, and that was outright war, including you're not going to drug test my players and invade their policy while guys are doing cocaine and Barry Bonds and those guys are doing steroids. Uh, you know, prior to that, we had the wars over what do you mean you're going to have a union represent the players? That's never been like that. We can't have that. <laughs> and that was during the Marvin Miller era, the mm-hmm. Bowie Kuhn era. We've had bad owners, a.k.a. Charlie Finley, amongst many others. I think each commissioner has had a different set of circumstances to deal with. You know, I I might add that, that Manfred had to deal with the COVID crisis and the 60-game baseball season, and how do we do that? And they had to shut down minor league baseball because of the fear of spread, and they came in with such a structure that safeguarded the players, although it was really hard for the players and their families. But he came through that. So I think every commissioner going back, has had something different that they've really had to deal with in a crisis mode. So as much as you like to boo Rob Manfred, I think he's done a good job. Okay, before we go to football, John, remind everybody about subscribing for a Thursday podcast or Monday bonus podcast, getting notification because we put an awful lot of stuff up here on our YouTube channel on almost a day by day basis. Yeah, like day by day for sure. So subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can get the
1: audio only. You can listen to it in your car while you're walking your dog or you're out on a, on a run. You can download Hacksaw onto Apple Podcasts. All the platforms were there. Subscribe on YouTube. You click on that bell, you get the updates. Whenever we drop new videos and video clips, you know, we're always dropping the shorts, the four to five minute clips from the podcast. Those all do really well on YouTube. And, um, you know, make sure you just kind of
0: spread the love, you know,
1: like, follow, share and subscribe. Right, hey, and
0: tell everybody what you're doing. By the way, I know you got spare time. you watching us on live stream check my website that's the address lee it's all written i write a ton of stuff i don't care what your favorite sport is there's a lot of late breaking stuff there the best 15 minutes in sports hacksaws headlines my one man's opinion column you do have an opinion on things don't you our hacksaw mini polls and tell your friends you know text email tweet let them know what we're doing and have them text their friends too Uh, so give us a thumbs up Give us a five-star rating. We enjoy that, too. John, on we go. NFL training camps are open. Boy, we got stories.
1: Yeah, and Justin Herbert got paid. You've been talking
0: about this was coming. It was, and I was a little surprised. He got paid before Joe Burrow in Cincinnati got paid. Hmm. Uh, Justin Herbert should buy beer for all of us. He's got the money in his checking account now. Unbelievable. Uh, $52.5 million per year. Justin Herbert... Signs his $252 million total contract. He blows by what Jalen Hurts got after the Super Bowl in Philadelphia. He has now exceeded, obviously, what Lamar Jackson got in Baltimore. He's got more money, average and guaranteed, than the controversial Deshaun Watson got. Phenomenal deal for Justin Herbert. He winds up not only with a 52.5 average salary, which is the tops in pro football, he gets $133 million guaranteed. That's a tops in football. So that situation's been solved. Now we wait to see what Joe Burrow gets in Cincinnati. Uh, on the field, in camp, the biggest free agent acquisition for the Chargers? Might be their new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Hmm. Uh, They're on the field for the uh, first and second day of workouts. His linkage with Justin Herbert's been amazing. I mean, they're, they're together all the time, creatively reworking the Charger playbook, which now looks a little bit like the Dallas Cowboy playbook. I tend to think that the bolts under Herbert, with the running back Eckler, with the four to five wide receivers and the tight ends and all those studs in the offensive line, this is the best offense the Chargers have had since Rivers, Tomlinson, and Gates when they went to the AFC Championship game. And although this this may be a reach, this could be as explosive as Air Coriel and Fouts, although I can't compare anything that's on that roster right now with Kellen Winslow and Charlie Joyner and John Jefferson and all the West Chandler, all those guys, Chuck Muncy, et etc., James Burks. But this, I think this is, has the potential to really be good. And they're going to need to be good on offense because I don't think they have enough defense. Tom Telesco and John Spanos are a combined 81 and 86 in the 11 years since they took over the operations of the then San Diego Chargers. They have only two playoff wins in that 11-year span. But they have been building towards this. They've come through all these bad injuries. They have continued to find guys who can fly on offense they've looked and discovered an Austin Eckler that nobody wanted to draft so I mean this team I think is poised to have the breakout step across the line season and we need to enjoy it as much as we may hate Spanos we do like Justin Herbert we need to enjoy it because this team's going to be in excess of 60 million over the salary cap for next year so the roster we have right now in training camp not going to be the roster we're going to have a year from today when we're doing this podcast. But I just think offensively, they've got so much firepower.
1: Oh, yeah, they're loaded. But, you know— Justin Herbert, great quarterback, young, bright star, certainly deserving of a lot of money. But he got the biggest contract in NFL history. What has he won? He hasn't won any playoff games. I would expect that Joe Burrow
0: should make a lot more than what Justin Herbert got. I I think the reaction around the nation is, wow. Now, they know how good this kid is. Kids throw 94 touchdown passes in three years with a, a ragamuffin team around them. It's been beset by injuries every year. And he was hurt last year. But he's never won a playoff game. He's only 25-25 and as a starter. Um, You know, Joe Burrow has won playoff games. Uh, Last I checked, Joe Burrow was in the Super Bowl with the Bengals. (laughs) So, yeah. um, But it's like everything else in the NFL. Every time a left tackle signs a contract extension, it's higher than the last left tackle got. And the same thing happens with pass rushers. And the same thing happens with quarterbacks. So, Joe Burrow will get his money hopefully before the start of the season— and I would assume it'll probably be $54 million per year, because that's just the way the NFL has gone. Okay, from that, let's go to college football, because this is a bulletin.
1: Yeah, I mean, lots of late-breaking news here with the Big 12 and the Pac-12.
0: Uh, let, let me try to set the storyline for you. This rumor had been out there for about three weeks that the Big 12 had talked to Colorado, and Colorado suddenly was expressing interest in maybe leaving the Pac-12 and going back to the Big 12. Within a 24-hour span, the Big 12 presidents meet and they vote unanimously to offer an expansion berth to readmit the Colorado Buffaloes who used to be in the Big 12 uh, for about 12 years and before that in the old Big 8. Colorado's Board of Governors called an emergency meeting Thursday afternoon. We're led to believe they are signing off on making application to go to the Big 12. And the Pac-12 CEOs, which is the presidents, and all the athletic directors on Thursday afternoon were in a day-long Zoom call to try to determine what is next. And the only only words that were given to some national media guys about the Pac-12 is, quote, they're looking to trade up to replace Colorado. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of things that are in play here. How does the defection of a bad Colorado team, impact the new TV deal the Pac-12 is supposedly about to sign. I don't think it impacts it very much. Colorado has had two winning seasons in 11 years since they came to the Pac. No bowl games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement about Coach Prime, mm-hmm. Neon Dion, Dion Sanders. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Colorado doesn't move the needle for anybody. There's probably still going to be a bottom feeder for a couple of years. So is it catastrophic for the Pac-12 to lose them? I don't think so. You know, in Colorado, people in Boulder are going crazy. I messaged one of the beat writers that covers CU for the Denver Papers. They're going crazy. Well, last I checked, uh, Big 12 is not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. There is no Nebraska to have a hated rivalry. Uh, by the way, Oklahoma and Texas out this year. At the end of this year going to SEC. So, I mean, if you're excited in the Big 12, you're going to play BYU and Iowa State. <laughs> so I, I don't know. People in Boulder at Folsom Field are going crazy, mostly because of Neon Dion coming on board as head coach. But it's not what it used to be. So, uh, it it's a blow. Now, here's the other the sidebar piece of the story. San Diego State just looks like it just is screwed in this whole storyline. <laughs> it is. I mean... Now that now that they've put out this oil fire created by the President de la Torre and the Mountain West Commissioner, and everybody's singing, is it Kumbaya Is that what you sing outside <laughs> by the fire pit? Everybody in the Mountain West San Diego State's singing Kumbaya Aztecs can't leave. If they leave now based on the agreement they just reached last week, John, it's thirty-four million exit fee. And they already said we can't do that. So they are screwed for two years. They can't leave the Mountain West. If this had happened a week and a half ago, maybe it could have happened. Uh, Maybe, you know, when when I heard the word trade up from somebody that covers the Pac-12, I thought to myself, what does that mean? Trade up. Trade up SMU. Trade up Dallas TV market. Now, I know trade-up might mean San Diego market, but the Aztecs are locked in. They can't go anywhere. So San Diego State is just is screwed for two years. And there's really nobody else out there off the top of my head that I, I could think you could go steal. You can't steal TCU, which is a really good program. BYU is going in the front door of the Big 12, so they're no longer available. I would have thought maybe once upon a time, that name, that brand carried some cachet. So I, I would think if, if that the pack now it's the pac nine going forward, they're going to trade up. Then maybe it's SMU. and It's a Dallas market, and geez, San Diego State's get screwed. You know, we were just thinking that the big or the the pack ten, the ten remaining,
1: were all together, and they were going to sign this deal. And now Colorado is is bailed out. I mean, do you think this is going to start to erode, and we're going to start to see other
0: programs leave the big or the the pack twelve? Well, people are of the opinion. Now that it's going to be down to nine, what's to prevent the Big Ten from calling Oregon and Washington and say, deliver us your Ducks football program and the Huskies a year from now? Uh, Unless unless those schools have signed the deed of grant, which would lock them into the new TV contract. The deed of grant has not been presented on paper yet, only because the contract is not done with the three network providers the Pac-12 is negotiating with. Um, it's, to me, it's, it's just a really tough call. Um, yeah, you could go to the Big Ten if you are Oregon and you're Washington. But what does that do in the state legislatures of those states, which apportion money to Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State? Mm-hmm. What does it do to that relationship? Does it fracture it? Does it create real chaos? I think that's a sidebar story that, that somebody has to pay attention to. The other thing, because the deed of grant has not been signed by anybody yet because the deal, the TV deal, is not done in the conference, Colorado doesn't pay an exit fee. They play one more year under the old deed of rights, mm-hmm. and June 1st of 2024, they go, and there's no exit fee because the deed of rights has expired. Ah, So there's just so many moving parts to this. But Well, why, why did Colorado leave the Big 12 in the first place? I just, they weren't competitive in the pack, and they've had all types of affiliations for decades, being a member of the old Big Eight, Mm -hmm. and then obviously when it became the Big 12. But those days are gone. Those teams are gone. (laughs) Yeah, they are. I mean, I'm sorry, there is no bitter rivalry with Bob Devaney in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, with Texas, Oklahoma. They're out the door. I just don't think the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma State is a real sexy conference right now, and yet Colorado thinks we're going back to where we were. Well, where you were during the Bill McCartney era is very different now from where it is today.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, it's just you know, the, the the coach prime angle to this is the other wild card. Yeah. Because even though the team is not expected to do great, they will be a sensation, and they will get a lot of viewers. So I know this is just intriguing. But, you know, for, uh, thinking of it as a pack... The Pac-12 program, you know, Denver is like on the other side of the mountain, the Rocky Mountains. So it doesn't feel like it was really never ever
0: connected to the Pacific in the first place. Well, that's because they were bad. If if they had been Colorado in the Bill McCartney era, national championship type caliber, Mm -hmm. that would have been a sexy addition to the Pac-10 conference. But they weren't because they fell into... Disrepair. You know, looking back, I, you remember the name Dan Hawkins. He was a hmm. head coach at Boise State. He's the one that actually put Boise State on the map. Okay. And he moved around. He wound up at Colorado. And I thought, what a great hire. And it fell flat on his face. He just didn't recruit, couldn't recruit, and then he wound up getting fired. And they, they just have been down forever. Like I say, 11 years in this conference out here, two winning seasons in 11 years, no bowl games.
1: Wow. Well, the changing of the card here, and it seems like it's
0: quicksand, and everything is just moving so fast. Yeah, the, the the land under our feet is really shifting in college football, and I just I feel awful for San Diego State because there was now the, there was potential that they could be an add-on, even though I don't think they bring a lot to the table outside of Brian Dutcher's basketball program. But now they're locked in; they they can't get out because of that dollar figure they have to pay us an exit fee. Speaking of San Diego State, let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, camp has been kind of rolling here for,
1: for the Aztecs. Season starts against your Ohio, uh, you know, with the Bearcats, right?
0: Uh, Bobcats. The
1: Bobcats.
0: Cincinnati Bearcats. I get those and that's mixed. not the Ohio State I did say Ohio State. I said said Ohio University, I just just want to correct you. Okay. Anyhow, (laughs) uh, Aztecs first workouts on Friday. They've come through what I think has been a pretty good spring. Brady Hoke, I spent a chunk of the, the morning with him. Uh, at his preseason press conference, I think it's the biggest challenge he's ever had since he came here from Ball State. You know, Brady came here his first year, they won four games, and it was just, there was a massive rebuild. But he put a good coaching staff together, along with Rocky Long as defensive coordinator, and then Brady left, went to Michigan, Rocky took over, continued. Uh, I think it's the biggest challenge he's ever faced. Last year was a disaster. Uh, injuries at quarterback, inefficiency at a very young offensive line, fired the offensive coordinator in midseason, Uh, quarterbacks transferring out, just a raging controversy, the arises situation, and then he blew out coaches at the end of the year on top of it. His biggest issue is to fix the quarterback scenario. Uh, He went through five quarterbacks. It's a weird mix. He's got Jalen Maiden, the Mississippi State transfer, who's back as a sixth-year guy. First year, he will actually be the true starter. Maiden has spent... Every minute, every hour of the offseason since early spring with the new offensive coordinator, Ryan Lindley, record setting Aztec quarterback, good mm. guy. Lindley coached for Mike Leach, Mississippi State, coached in the NFL, Cleveland Browns, a guy who's just consumed data. Uh, I think he's a, I was, I he a great college quarterback. I think he's a bright light uh, assistant coach. Uh, And then Brady Hoke said it's Ryan Lindley's offense. He is going to do what he wants to do, and he's going to feed the talent the right plays that plays to their strength. In other words, they're not going to ask Maiden to do things that Maiden can't do consistently. they got the weird part of the quarterback equation is they got Maiden, who started half the last season. It's the only time he started in college ball. Really, didn't play much at Mississippi State, and he was pretty competitive. Three touchdowns, did turn the damn ball over, ran the ball though because he's big and physical. They got Maiden as a starter. Their four backups are eighteen or nineteen and have hardly taken a snap in anger in college football. Ooh. If anything happens to Maiden. It's going to be hard because the next one up is Kyle Crum, and he played briefly, and he had a shoulder separation, and then after that, nobody's really played. Uh, So that's that's a bit of a gamble that they didn't try to go into the transfer portal and find a one-year rental, but they had such a bad experience with Braxton Burmeister last year from Mm -hmm. Virginia Tech, so uh, it'll be maiden show, lonely calling the plays. Uh, They've got four deep at running back with experience. I think they're going to be explosive, and they've got young guys that have been recruited, the lucky Suttons of the world, high school kids from here, that are waiting their opportunity. Uh, They're going to run a lot of Utah's offense, which means they're going to pound the ball, and they're going to go to double tight ends, and they're going to throw to those tight ends. That's what Utah does, and Utah has been pretty doggone good. Uh, Last time Mm -hmm. I checked, they beat the crap out of USC last season. So they're going to run a Utah-type offense. But the biggest challenge is not just the quarterback for Brady Hoke. He's got to replace three offensive line starters. He's got to replace all three of his defensive linemen. And what has Aztec football been known for in recent times under Hoke, under Rocky Long? Yeah, T- that, Toughest cement defense. Yeah, yeah, and, and that unique configuration of how yeah. he lays out the defense. So they've they've got a massive challenge there to replace the guys in the trenches on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, they got a really good defensive end in Garrett Fountain, who's grown into being a big football player. He'll be a defensive end. They lined up and in, in the transfer portal. They got the star linebacker from New Mexico, Cody Moon. This guy is everywhere. I think he's one of the most active linebackers I've seen in a long time at San Diego State. They got a, a TCU transfer cornerback, J.D. Coffee, who I think is going to wind up being a starter. I think their back seven is strong. But they're going to need to have all this come together because their home schedule, John, is so cool. It's UCLA, it's Boise, it's Fresno, it's Nevada. All the enemy are coming in here to play at Snapdragon Stadium. But you know what's the weirdest thing to me? The weirdest vibe is, and I think Brady Hook's done a good job when he first came in the front door here from Ball State, even though he left after two years to go to Michigan. He's 38-26 and with two bowl wins. It doesn't feel like it's a successful program. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the crap of what's happened the last two years. It's just taken the edge off the program and the fact the community, after the opening game lost to Arizona last year in the brutal heat, that, the football fans, the alumni, never came back. I mean, they had to struggle to get 17,000 in their shiny new 35,000-seat stadium. It's just, it's just a weird vibe. Despite the success that Hoke has had, it's just no energy, no spark, no, no conversation. I it, I find it really, really strange. Go ahead. I threw a lot of stuff at you. Well, it's really weird because they played for two years in L.A. Mm-hmm.
1: and with limited people in this in the stands. And I think it's usually only a couple of thousand people in that mm-hmm. soccer stadium. So we've been sort of disconnected yep. uh, from the from the program. Now, granted, our expectations started to rise throughout the the last decade. But I, and I look at Jalen Maiden. What a great story that was last year. Yeah. I mean, just kid, you know, never really had his shot. He comes in. But, but still, you, you could see why he never really got his shot. Because he wasn't the cannon arm. He wasn't super accurate. But he kind of made it work and, and, and had some dazzling plays. So hopefully, you know, all that work with Ryan Lindley pays off. And he takes another step forward. But, you know, I've been following the recruiting. And some of those young QBs. They they look interesting when they when they're being recruited, but we saw them on the field last year, and they just look so small.
0: They're overwhelmed. Yes, so I, they've got a lot of work to do. Uh, I'm hoping that last year, and la- I'm sorry, last year was a piece of crap season. I, I am hoping that last year was a one off because that's not Brady Hope football, and I'm hoping they can bounce back and with with a one year rental with Jalen Maiden in his final year. Uh, yeah, he's they. They could be really competitive, but boy, he's got to re- he's got to replace so much in the offensive front and so much in the defensive front because all those guys have graduated. Okay, from Aztec football, let's go to the southern story. It's not gotten a lot of traction, but it's going to get a lot of traction. What's going on in Washington D.C.? Yeah,
1: it was interesting. You brought up some of these senators that are involved in kind of. You said no politics when we started, but here we go. But uh, this the NIL deal
0: transfer portal. They're they're chiming in, huh? Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Tommy Tuberville, the former college coach who's now a state. Uh, congressmen uh, in alabama and mississippi uh, they have come up with a proposal that they are making uh, to grant the ncaa antitrust exemption first which would allow the ncaa to control sport completely Hmm. Uh, the antitrust exemption would then lead to a template to restructure everything that's wrong with college football and what's wrong left hand says the nil the right hand says the transfer portal that with the antitrust exemption if this gets approved in congress there would be a template of how the ncaa will operate and the things that they are proposing every group that would pour money into an nil pool you're at miami of ohio you're at washington state whatever has to be sanctioned and contracted through the ncaa Hmm. there will be a structure a template for how every NIL program operates. There will be registration. There will be enforcement. You're not going to be paying every player $200,000 a year like they do in Texas. Uh, There's going to be medical coverage for players once their careers are over, if they have health issues based on injuries that they got while playing at Purdue. Uh, There's going to be a change in the transfer portal then this is this is going to be controversial, but it's going to stop what we're seeing the last two years. John, you go to school, you play three years, you can't enter the transfer portal till you've been on that college campus at Bowling Green three years. Oh, then you can go into the portal one time transfer mm-hmm. you can't have all this junk where these guys are going to three schools in three years <laughs> yeah, and that's happened yeah, oh, yeah, so they're they're putting that that package in. I don't know how they're going to get the last piece negotiated. But I always wondered with the NIL, how does that impact Title IX? Title IX, which gave equal funding athletically to men and women. Under the mansion tuberville congressional proposal, there would be equal pay NIL for male athletes and female athletes. Now, hmm. if you've got a program that's got 18 intercollegiate programs— do you pay every player the same amount, or how? Do I, I'm not sure how that's going to be negotiated, but that's that's the last part in the mansion proposal. So it's fascinating that Congress has now stepped front and center and said we ought to fix this because this has been destructive. I have not talked to a coach in the last two years to think what's happened with the NIL, and they'll hide under the umbrella. Well, I'm glad the players are being taken care of. But like Brady Hook said yesterday, what about us? What about our programs? What's it doing to our programs? I've met a coach that thinks the NIL has, has been properly executed, and I don't know anybody that thinks the transfer portal, which has led to player free agency, is good. So there's got to be different structure. And if Congress passes this and then hand-carries it to the NCAA office, And says this is how it's going to operate, and you're going to control it, and you have the authority to control it. That's where we are. Wow. That's
1: a lot there. I mean – Uh, Of course, it's hard on Brady Hoke and all the other coaches to manage this because you got players going out the door, new ones coming in, you're trying to figure out how to pay them and all. But from the players perspective, the NIL and the transfer portal is fantastic. Sure. You know, it's just like we, you know, in the private sector, when we have a job, we can we can quit our job and get a new job Mm. and, and change jobs every year if we wanted to. So I like the NIL and a transfer portal from the player's perspective. Um, but what is interesting here it's this a little bit of an angle but in 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 Washington DC they're always condemning, you know, companies from becoming monopolies and now here they're essentially endorsing or creating a monopoly for the NCAA.
0: Well, but the players do have rights, and all this will be negotiated, but at least there will be structure. You won't have the Wild West. What's mm. gone on at Georgia? What's gone on at Texas A&M? You know, and what's happened to the group of five schools where not only do you recruit players, develop players, you're going to lose the players because people tamper with them. <laughs> and then you've got to re-recruit the guys who came to play for you to make sure they don't leave. And then you've got to recruit the families. Yeah, uh, There will be money for players. There will be opportunities. There will be exceptions in the transfer portal. Coach gets fired. Players could probably go into the transfer portal at that point, but we're not going to have these guys go into three different schools in three different years just so they can throw a football down the sidelines.
1: Well, then we don't get Jaden Ledee at San Diego State, do we? Because he transferred twice, three times, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's everything is going through this evolution. And what's funny is, is like, look at baseball and how powerful the players union is and how it went from, Owners having such massive control to now the players having control. Well, what they're talking about the NCAA is the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. They're taking power away from the players and giving it more to the coaches and administrators.
0: They're giving it structure. Okay, Players are going to be allowed to transfer. There will be an NIL pool, but it won't be to the craziness that's gone on in the Southeastern Conference. Mm. Okay. That's where we are. Okay, before we talk basketball, let's just remind everybody what's going to happen at the end. We're looking for somebody to come sit here on the t- chair on the right-hand side of me who wants to join us in fans form and explain to everybody on livestream how how they get access to Fans Forum.
1: All right. Well, you can get involved. I mean, like I can see some names here. John and Chris and, and uh, Rome and Ryan and Willie are all in the, on the online here in the Fans Forum. If you've got a question or a comment for Hacksaw, just drop it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved here uh, when we get finished
0: with Hacksaw's headlines. Okay, we move on. Uh let's talk basketball because I got two scary stories here.
1: Yeah, I mean this this is we've been seeing a lot of this in the in the news
0: with Bronny and the tragedy that he just had. Uh two storylines. LeBron James' son is now back home was released from Cedars Sinai Hospital at, mid- at midday. Is back home resting, continuing therapy. They are continuing to do workups after he had the cardiac incident on the floor about 9.15 on Monday morning at USC in an off-season summer workout. Uh, They've indicated they've been very close mouthed with what's gone on there. They indicated he never lost consciousness when he went down. It was a, quote, cardiac issue. They're continuing the workups right now after a wide variety of tests over about a a two-and-a-half-day period, and they have yet to determine exactly what happened. Uh, Was it a cardiac heartbeat issue? In other words, was there an arrhythmia? You know, when this first happened, a whole bunch of things flashed into my mind. Did he have a heart attack? Is it just an arrhythmia thing? Was it just dehydration because these guys play and work so hard in the hard weather they're experiencing? Or or does he have an enlarged heart? Because athletes do have those, and those are real serious situations. Said he did not have a heart attack. He did not have blockage. It might have been an electrical current situation. Um, my my biggest flashback was the minute I, I I I heard about him in the morning, and it was like nine twenty when the story broke. I said, "My God! I hope this isn't Len Bias. Mm. I hope it's not Reggie Lewis. I hope it's not Hank Gathers." Mm. Now, each of those young men who died, Bias was the number one pick of the Boston Celtics. Each of them had different heart issues. Bias was a cocaine-induced heart attack. Reggie Lewis had a heart valve issue. Gaither's had, I believe it was an enlarged heart scenario. But with modern-day medicine, they can treat certain types of heart things, you know, even if it might involve a pacemaker. Uh, He's so young. But at this point, they have not detailed at all, except that he's in stable condition. He did not have any setbacks once he was transported to the hospital. He was in ICU for a very short period of time, which meant he was pretty stabilized immediately when he got to the hospital. And how about the USC trainers? A year ago this time in the offseason, they had a 6-11 center who went down with a heart issue, and they saved his life on the floor. And I think that that training that the USC doctors and trainers had dealing with the f- player a year ago this summer helped that kid deal with what that kid had to deal with. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it is special how the the SC staff essentially saved
0: his life. Yes.
1: Because, um, you know, I th- they said like, there's not enough oxygen going to the brain, and he could have been— you know, a vegetable. It was like
0: the Buffalo Bills trainers. They saved DeMar Hamlin's
1: life right on national TV for everybody to see. Amazing. I mean, just think how far we've come in sports medicine over the decades. And, uh, you know, guys either with elbow surgeries or knees or, in this case, heart or concussion. Um, so we're making progress. But this was a shocker. I mean, everyone thought of Brawny as this, just like his father, this invincible stud basketball player. and And he goes down. So, I mean, obviously... We we're concerned about him and his family, but I wonder if he's ever going to play again.
0: Well, if it's if it's a minor arrhythmia thing, I think that can be treated. But I think it's too early to theorize he's done or he'll. When's he coming back? Let them figure out what happened electric electrically to his heartbeat. And then they'll they'll come up with a plan there. So that's a big story in college basketball. The other one is what's happened in the WNBA, and this is really ugly. And of course, we have talked extensively about players and athletes and problems off the floor and whether it's it's DUI or it's guns or it's auto accidents or domestic abuse. Las Vegas Aces, WNBA's elite team, have expelled their starting guard. She's gone from the program, Raquane Williams. She was arrested. Nine counts of domestic abuse in her apartment with her living other woman mm-hmm. included strangulation and oh, beating. Man. Five felonies. This is really serious stuff. And now we find out that Williams had been arrested in 2018 for a domestic violence case with another woman. There was her quote significant other. This is really bad. I mean, when you think when you think about strangulation, attempting to take somebody's life, that's really serious stuff. So just just a shocker. The story in the WNBA.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't normally think of this, especially in women's sports. You know, so yeah, tragic case. Um, I don't know what else
0: you could really say about I've this. Never, I've never heard woman on woman violence. Never. And I, I mean, I understand. Women have relationships with other women, and they are married to other women. And mm-hmm. and I understand the whole gay community, but I've never never crossed paths in covering sports where there's been a female on female violent incident.
1: Yeah, it, it's crazy. Um, and uh, you know, but let's go take a step back and just remove the the, the gender part of it. It just in general, you know, there's just a lot of people that are overly stressed in life. They've got a lot of mental health issues and people are reacting in terrible ways. This is like another example. But here it is with an, a WNBA star player.
0: It's just tragic. Who um, had a track record. That's the other yeah, thing. That's, that's, that's amazing a good to point. Me okay we go from that let's talk about women in soccer oh how about team usa yeah i
1: watched the game last night and they didn't win but it was a great match
0: team usa has got one game left in group E play they'll play panama come tuesday they are tied for first place with the netherlands what a strange game and John and I, our Monday bonus podcast, we talked a little bit about what to expect in this game. And so we've got a Team USA side that's got a really young group of forwards and players. And you got Netherlands, which is big and is physical. And I thought somewhere along the game, the will of Team USA's teenagers was really going to be tested because they were going to get marked, they were going to get kicked, they were going to get fouled, they are going to get knocked down. Team USA dominated for the first 16 minutes bunch of scoring chances and their speed there was mm-hmm. such a difference in their speed to what the dutch women had and then all of a sudden the dutch women just started to bang bodies knock people down they won every 50 50 ball they took over midfield mm-hmm. and all of a sudden team usa was on his back heels and all and then you see the netherlands Go down the field. You could see their offensive build up and you could see USA backing in, backing in on the keeper, and just not being able to challenge, and then just like that, the Dutch scored a goal right in front, and it's one nothing, and suddenly the whole field changed. Well, the the Dutch dominated from about the seventeenth minute till about the sixty second minute. And I thought, holy cow, they're in trouble. And then Team USA rallied. Sophia Smith uh just kind of took control of the game with her speed and they started to attack from out on the edge and the dutch couldn't cover the full breadth of the field and then all of a sudden lindsey haran with a header off a corner kick knocks it in and she just physicaled her way into position got up and deflected it in tie game and then the u.s just it was like they lit a little fire like they threw an ignition switch. Uh, Sophia Smith had a drive that was deflected at the top of the crossbar, probably should have gone in. She had a, a shot coming in off the left wing that just missed the inside post. And she, and she fought around the defender to trigger the shot with her left foot. She had a blast uh, from point-blank range that was knocked down by a, a fullback right in front of the goalkeeper that could have gone in. So all of a sudden, they just really rallied and they almost came up with a victory. 1-1 one, one tie keeps them in the hunt. All they need to do now is, is even if they get a scoreless tie with Panama, although I think they should beat Panama, they're going to move on to group play in the knockout round. And so this team is growing up. It's just not Alex Morgan. It's just not Megan Rapino. We see all these young stars, 18, 19, 20, 21, just coming together, have not been intimidated by this level of play. Now, granted, the Netherlands was a much better... Tougher test than Vietnam. Portugal's decent. uh, But, you know, once we get to the knockout round, that's a whole new world.
1: Yeah, this is just really fun to watch. And, you know, Sophia Smith was just, you know, really dynamic with her ball handling skills. But how about you know um uh Lindsay Horan. I mean that girl is tough, and she was dropping forearm shivers on you know and she did t- fouled a lot too and she was, and there was a battle going on in the field with with those players, so they showed a lot of toughness as well, and for her to get in and get that header was huge um but I, you know I, I look at I look at the program and all these rising stars you know Trinity Rodman was you know was handling the ball a lot, had a lot of opportunities. It just seemed like the Dutch were prepared for what u s a offered and that and that 's why they controlled the middle portion of the game, but you
0: got to play ninety minutes and that speed came back and just like at the first sixteen minutes u s a was really faster, quicker, getting good shots off. They came back after that sixty second minute and they retook control of the game so this is collectively. This is a really, really good team. Okay, it's time for fans Forum. You got questions. We got answers. You got statements to make. We want to hear what you've got to say. Thanks for being with us on our live stream, John. You think you fill that screen with people who want to be part of this uh, thing? Oh, there's a
1: ton here. So let's uh, go to John Hopkins. He goes. What about Colorado getting voted in to return the Big Twelve? Is this the
0: op- the obituary for the Pac-12 at this point? No, because the Pac-12 just. As I said, they were, they were holding this emergency CEO AD get-together uh, this afternoon into the evening, and they say that they're going to, quote, trade up. And I don't know what that means. How do trade up mean they're going to go steal somebody else from somewhere? Uh, are they going to retaliate? Would they take somebody out of the Big 12, even even though the Big 12 has a new TV contract that will kick in a year from now? It's going to be fascinating to see. I do think, though, that San Diego State is now backed into a corner that I don't think they can get out of. And I don't, I don't think, in all honesty, that the Pac-9, that's what it's going to be wind <laughs> up being. I don't think the Pac-9 is going to fold because I still think West Coast football will carry a lot of credibility because there's a lot of players out here that want to play for the schools on the west coast yeah i mean it'll be
1: interesting to see if the pac-12 invites more of the mountain west teams in like unlv or fresno or boise but uh yeah it's funny how you talk about the pac-9 because the big 10 doesn't have 10 teams and the big 12 last i checked don't have 12
0: so it seems like the number doesn't matter (laughs) i don't know we'll we'll find out in the next 24 to 48 hours what's the next move on we go.
1: On we go. And uh, this, is, this one here is from Chris and talking about the Padres. And he says, also, they don't have a jerk manager who will get pissed off and yell at them. Melvin coached a bunch of young players
0: at Oakland. Now he has multimillionaire veterans stars. Big difference. Chris, I guess the question is, are the players listening to him? And I raised a question on the Monday bonus podcast. If you missed it, you ought to go back and check the Monday podcast on our YouTube channel. As the general manager told the manager, you're not going to beat up my players. Or the players running the clubhouse? Big issue. It just doesn't seem that there's any chemistry, John, to Padre baseball. Bunch of good individual players. None of them are hitting up to their career averages, and that's probably a piece of the equation. They're all making all the money, and the rest of the roster is just, you know, just rags. Uh, it, it just, it's not a collectively good baseball team. Well, you were saying
1: last Monday that A.J. Preller is probably instructing Melvin and other
0: people in the organization to not criticize the players. You still believe that? I kind of do, because how could all this inefficiency just go on and on, unchecked, with no public outcry or critique? Mm. I mean, you look at managers in the past who have just obviously stood up and said, you're not earning your pay. I don't see any of that coming out of Petco Park right now. And I understand your players are being paid really well. You want to create as good an environment as you can. But pal, when you're forty nine and fifty three and you're in seventh spot fighting for one of three wild card spots, it's just been allowed to go on and on and on with no accountability.
1: Yeah, it's it's driving us bonkers here here's another comment from uh, another live stream uh uh fans forum this is from rome loves dan it says definitely more frustrating san diego season than some of the fire sale teams in
0: 94 through 99 years i think this is the most frustrating thing i've ever seen now i, I will tell you that the fire sales under the tom warner ownership group i thought were disgraceful uh but but to have this level of great talent and then to have it underachieve with the kind of consistency of underachievement it's had just absolutely drives me crazy. I mean, how, how do you have a sub-500 record against every bad team in Major League Baseball? Is there an answer to that, except that they're not playing real well together? Or maybe they're not playing with enough intensity together. And how do you have a sub-500 record at home? It's not like some of these other teams that have been destroyed by injuries, I mean, the New York Mets are having an equally bad season, John, but that's, they had seven pitchers go down. Mm-hmm. The Yankees have had seven pitchers plus Judge plus Stanton with significant time on the I.L. Padres have not had a catastrophe of, of injuries. I, they've got a catastrophe of just gross underachievement. It's the San Diego sports curse. Okay. <laughs>
1: it's just, it, it always happens to San Diego teams. I mean, the, the Aztec basketball run last year maybe is an exception, but this just drives us crazy. But you were there for the fire sale, um, and, you know, in the early
0: 90s, and that was a terrible time
1: for Padre fans.
0: Sure, exactly. There was no rationale. The Crock family sold the, the, the franchise to Tom Werner. It was coming out of the the horrors of the, what was the financial cover-up that all the owners got hit? Uh, with Was it collusion? Collusion. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Tom Werner and his group bought the team. We own the Padres. We're doing this for the good of San Diego. And then they got the bill that they had to pay for collusion, and they absolutely freaked out. Mm. And all of a sudden, oh, no, we're not doing this. We're not spending my wealth for this team and pay the collusion on top of it. You know, And then they go to Joe McIlvain. Sell those players. Trade those players away. Goodbye, Fred McGriff and Gary Sheffield, and all those other guys that they got rid of. Boy, if I made a laundry list now of the guys who were part of that fire sale, you'd be pretty upset. But uh, this, this to me, is as as disappointing as anything could I could have ever imagined. And I projected, dumbass that I am, fan, I projected they are going to 100 games. Yeah. When we were doing our podcast in our spring training preview, I said 162. That's what the record was. And look at that. They don't even have... 49 wins right now. They don't. And,
1: and think about the enthusiasm uh, for the uh, FanFest before the season started. And it was a zoo. There was so much excitement, so much optimism. And now it's like, you know, everyone is taking shots of whiskey because they can't handle it anymore.
0: Well, there'll be changes in the offseason. If this turns out to be a non-playoff season, there have to be changes. There will be changes on the roster. Will there be a change in the dugout? Will there be a change in the GM's office? Only time will tell. Go ahead. Next question. Okay, here's from Ryan Kennedy. He says, who do you think is the worst commissioner
1: in the history of Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL and the NFL?
0: Wow, Uh, that's That's a really tough question. You know, Pete Rozelle was just an absolute marketing wizard. Uh, There's no doubt that what he did on behalf of the NFL to grow the pie was absolutely phenomenal. The game is very different right now under Roger Goodell because the players are powerful. The union is powerful. It is big business than we've ever, ever seen. I think it's a much more complex era to run a professional league Um, you know baseball every every commissioner had a different a different challenge whether it was the black Sox scandal under judge landis whether it was racism uh whether it was drugs whether it was a strong union led by marvin miller a worse union led by donald fear which allowed uh all this drug abuse to go on steroids etc so every one of those commissioners have had struggles um I would. I think David O'Brien in the NBA was a great commissioner, and I think Adam Silver has become a much better big business commissioner in pro basketball, though the, I think the players run the league right now. Uh, NHL went through a really, really bad time, um, not so much with Clarence Campbell, which was a mom-and-pop operation in hockey in the old original six, but I think... I think what's transpired in hockey, the John Ziegler era was very controversial, and there was some corruption in there, and that was was a real bad look uh, for the league. Gary Bettman's not a popular commissioner, but he's gotten the National Hockey League to expand. They're in a lot of sunbelt markets. Uh, They've survived COVID. They've survived a lot of economic trauma in the NHL. It's become a global game. I mean, there are as many great Euros and players from abroad as, as there are now being developed in Canada so as as unhappy as fans might be with Bettman because he's a U.S. guy, not a Canadian, I think Gary Bettman's done a really good job. So it just, it's such, I think it's such a hard job because the unions are so powerful and now there's so much money involved. I don't know, does that answer the question? You tell me. Yeah, and it's hard because
1: at different times in U.S. history, there's different things going on. I mean, because there have been league commissioners back when the 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 leagues were not integrated, you know? And <laughs> so they were preventing blacks and other, you know, uh, Hispanics other minorities were participating but I don't know for me in modern day I just remember that all-star game Bud Seelig is the commissioner and they were running out of pitchers and they were in extra innings and he just stood there and he went like this with his hands He says yeah. oh I guess we're just gonna have to call it a tie yeah. and I just thought that was so weak
0: yeah well of course Rob Manfred who just got the extension what a year ago made some offhanded comment well the World Series trophy it's just a piece of metal what one infuriated a few oh, yeah. people along the way, too. <laughs> on we go.
1: Next question. Okay. This is, this is a good one here, too. This is from Chris. He says, Lee, do you remember your Andre Coleman 98-yard kickoff return call on the radio? All-time excellent radio call on that play with the passion in your voice on that play in the Super Bowl. Yeah,
0: that was about the only play we made in the Super Bowl, too. <laughs> the Super Bowl. People bring that up to me all the time. And it, my, you know, my stock answer is, yeah, that was tough. Uh, the Chargers lost to one of the greatest offenses that modern-day football ever saw in Steve Young. Uh, and the Andre Coleman play, we were running uphill all night. We got in such a big hole. It was 14 nothing after six plays, and we just never, ever got back in the game. Uh, and San Francisco was a great team. But I, I, my stock answer is, yeah, the Super Bowl, that was hard. But the journey... The journey for the Chargers to get to the Super Bowl and what it meant to our community, galvanizing uh, the team's support, that, that to me is the greatest memory because I can close my eyes and I can tell you certain events and certain games that just changed the whole concept of the season. And when you think about that, and then I think about where we are today that we don't have our team and that family, the Spanos family, took our team after 55 years of loyalty. There are things I can't say on this podcast that I wish I could <laughs> say on this podcast, except this. At the end of the day, I hope Justin Herbert goes 17-0 and 0 as Charger quarterback. And at the end of the day, I hope Dean Spanos goes 0-17 as the owner of the Chargers franchise.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good <laughs> call right there. But, for you know, in your career as a sports broadcaster, I'd have to imagine broadcasting a Super Bowl has got to be one of the
0: highlights. Oh, yeah, I was, I was so overwhelmed with the week and the event, we worked so hard. We, we took our entire radio station. We did all of our talk shows from Fort Lauderdale. I mean, it was just a really cool experience. But I just remember when they played the national anthem, I just kind of peeked out of the, uh, the press box on the radio row. And I, I just had so many people. And, I mean, there were signs everywhere, neon everywhere, and displays everywhere. I thought, my God, how are these players going to concentrate with all the hoopla mm-hmm. that was part of the event? and we didn't <laughs> Steve Young three plays touchdown pass three plays touchdown pass Jim Laslevic turned to me and looked and shook his head and said Lee they've run six plays and we're down 14 nothing. long night oh, and it, it turned out to be but uh, yeah the event was big I, I did a Rose Bowl game I did Arizona State Michigan when I was doing the Sun Devils, and I was just overwhelmed with the enormity of being in Pasadena, the, at that point, I think it was 103,000 fans. It was just, it was so big. It was, it was so cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, what a thrill, I mean, to be the announcer there. I mean, uh, on the radio, and we still hear the highlights. Oh, they're all over the place. Yeah. You go on YouTube, and you always get to catch
0: more hacks. On. If you, if you're a Charger fan on live stream, if you just go on and write YouTube, Chargers Road to the Super Bowl, 1995. It will take you to a package of stuff that I did for NFL films. That's really cool. I've only looked at it maybe twice since that point in time. But it's up there on the YouTube channel. Just right. Chargers Road to the Super Bowl. You'll get a kick out of it because it, it encompasses a whole bunch of the things that we're talking about, including that big day game day at uh, AFC win against Pittsburgh.
1: Nice. Well, let's let's get some more uh, social media guys involved here too. There's still so much going on. Here's another comment about the Padres. This is from Dan, Dan's Junior. He says these bastards can't even go two games without losing the next. They got no fight, no spirit. They just don't care. They are
0: not interested. It seems. Can I sign that memo? <laughs> it's it's just a big issue. I just don't know how collectively these guys could be so inefficient. If these guys were just hitting back to their career averages, this team would be fighting for first place. And instead, every one of those guys is having a substandard season. And then you add in the horrors of what's gone on with Jake Cronenworth, and all the guys are hitting 218 and lower. It's like half the roster. Mm -hmm. And you're wasting so many good pitching starts, quality starts. And obviously, Josh Hader, busy electric coming out of the bullpen, when he has to save a game, but how many games has he not been able to save?
1: Yeah, well, you know, Seth Lugo pitched a heck of a game yesterday, and he ended up getting the loss. I mean, it's just tragic. So you just wonder, like, you know, look at that lineup. that They only had one run going into the ninth inning against the Pirates. It's like a, a AAA team. Um, so it's just so discouraging. It may be the toughest season as a fan for the Padres. Yeah,
0: I, I don't know what it's going to be like when we get to the finish line, but I'm just waiting to see if this community is going to rise up in arms because of what this team does. If this team does not get to postseason play, and boy, they got such a pothole bunker hill to climb out of. <laughs> they do. Yeah, I think we're all hoping for a miracle.
1: Here's a, um, a comment. This is actually interesting from one of the polls you ran talking about the Pac-12 and if Arizona, Arizona State might leave. And this comment was from Hushpook. He says, Colorado bolting has to negatively impact what figures to be an already paltry media package for the Pac-12. It's probably going to be less than 20 million
0: per year now. Oh, you're guesstimating. You, know, you have no idea. <laughs> I mean, the reality is... Is you've still got, you've still got the LA market. You've got the great success the Oregon Ducks have had. You got Washington and what Washington has had. New coach coming in at Stanford. You got the Arizona State Arizona schools with new leadership there and what they've been good. They they draw phenomenal crowds and pretty good TV ratings. So you can't you know don't pull twenty million out of the sky and say well that's going to be the fee. We don't know that now. It's less. It's going to be less maybe than forty million. If there's no Colorado, but who knows, quote, we're going to trade up. I don't know what that means. Maybe it means SMU and maybe it means the Dallas TV market, but, uh, We'll just just wait and see. No more doom and gloom until we actually know the these specifics. <laughs> well, you know, you get a lot of pushback from from uh, social media comments.
1: I always want to throw one more on the table um, you know, on this particular issue. This is from Rivaled Media Athletics. He says, not sure who his insider sources are, but it sounds like the Pac twelve spin. The media market is not willing to pay fifty million per school for a regional, unpassionate fan base with limited time slots. That's a billion dollar uh, deal per year. Understand that ESPN, Fox, and CBS—all the major media networks—are cutting down costs, trying to survive. Traditional media is changing;
0: it has changed, landscape has changed. You're totally correct there. <clears throat> However, there are new TV vendors out there that seem to be diving into this, and and I keep hearing through the grapevine, ESPN and Disney have some relationship that they're going to develop. And that, then you add in streaming, which will be part of this equation. And now, all of a sudden, Next Star and CW's network want to be players in the world of sports, and that's that's a new avenue that would come front and center and throw some money on the table. So. Is, uh, right now, it's just too hard to judge. Until we see what George Klevkov comes up with in terms of the structure of the deal and the dollar value in the deal, then you can make a judgment. This conference is in a world of hurt, or this conference is buying time, or is this conference going to raid somebody else somewhere? Who knows at this point in time? But uh, uh, you know, I was told at one point as the Pac-10 that the number could be more than the Big 12 number, which is 37 mil. You know, I was told 40 mil, and maybe if they had there certain schools, and I don't know who those schools would be because I don't know if there's anybody left out there to go get, that this thing could go 45 to 50 mil. But it's it's obviously been hurt a little bit by Colorado. But at the end of the day, with apologies from anybody in the 303 area code, <laughs> what the hell does Colorado bring to any any conference right now? Not in football. No, yeah. not in basketball. So why, why are we freaking out that CU is left well, the Aztecs have a better profile than the Buffaloes do. Yeah, right now, but of course they don't. They haven't played in the conference,
1: right? Well, you know, talking about trading up. Are there other any other independent programs? I mean, because Notre Dame is already now affiliated with what is it the ACC? Well,
0: they've got a yeah intangible work work deal with the ACC. Is it is Notre Dame trading up? Nah, that geographically that makes no Gonzaga? sense. Gonzaga, but that's only basketball. Well, running right. anything? Yeah, but well, so, that's still something. Yeah, unless unless. I don't know how this would work. They offer. I brought this up about a month ago and got shouted down. Unless you just offer Gonzaga basketball membership and San Diego State a basketball membership. Now that changes the whole Pac-12 membership structure. It doesn't solve your football issue, but sure as hell does in basketball. Oh, yeah, for sure. That'd be really interesting. Yeah, but I, I shouldn't be reaching that far or hurt my shoulder again.
1: Okay, a couple more here before we wrap it up. Okay, this is actually a pretty good one here. This is talking about uh, Dan Snyder and the whole mess in, in, in Washington. And this is actually some back and forth in the social media media but from edward and john and edward said i hope the new owner names them the washington redskins and john said magic johnson has already dropped a hint about that
0: well so is josh harris but he says there's other things that we have to have to deal with first that are more important than the team colors or the team nickname so i mean if, they, if they're going to consider something beyond the washington commanders is probably going to be at least two years out um You'll have to—I'll apologize in advance. I don't pay much attention to anything Magic Johnson says. <laughs> you know, he's owned a piece of this and a piece of that and mm-hmm. I, he wants to be a spokesman, et cetera, and that, that wears off after 15 minutes and you don't listen. He's he's not an important guy in the ownership of the Dodgers and he wants to own all these other businesses, which is great, but he's not a spokesman for the Washington Commanders. Hell, I, I close my eyes, I see Magic the great player. I close my eyes, to see Magic an utter failure as a coach of the Lakers that for me did that was the end of magic yeah. magic magic uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry I just I don't pay any attention to what he has to say you know it's, and it's weird because he didn't do well in management with the Lakers to the point he got pushed aside and we just saw Michael Jordan after all the years of failure in Carolina with the Charlotte Hornets Charlotte Bobcats he just sold and Larry Bird the great success that he had as a player did not necessarily generate itself uh, to become a great NBA general manager or front office executive, it's, it's kind of weird.
1: Yeah, it's a lot harder than it looks, That's right? right. Yeah. You know, when you're when you're balling on the court and you look up in the <laughs> up in the owner's suite, you figure, ah, oh, those guys, you know, they don't really have to do much. But it's a tough job assembling a team. But you know, going back to the Redskins idea. You know, I don't think they'll ever go back to that name, Redskins. But the Commanders was such a weak rebrand. It just gave no excitement. So it'd be nice if they came up with a new name that worked. And I love the color scheme.
0: Well, I love the color scheme. I was not offended by the name Redskins. I might be in a minority there. I mean, there was such history and legacy there. But there was a problem because George Marshall, who owned the team, used to be the Boston Redskins, became the Washington Redskins. He was a racist. They were Hmm. one of the last teams in the National Football League to actually integrate. Um, So the name name probably had to go. But there were so many other names out there that you could have had something like, quote, the Washington – well, Washington Generals. But that – that that's was the that's like the best. Harlem Globetrotters. That's right. That's a different era. <laughs> but there were some creative things you could have done with the military. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they, they didn't do it. So, well, we'll see where this thing goes down the road. But uh, let's give Josh Harris his his space and see what he does in terms of changing the structure and the culture of uh, Washington commanders football. And then we'll worry about the, the name change, et cetera they got to get a quarterback, and they got to get better on the field. They do have a great defense, but we'll talk more about that as we go towards opening day when we actually do our NFL preview. You want to do one more here?
1: Yeah, let's sneak in one more,
0: and this is, a, I guess, a Gruden
1: comment, and uh, this was uh, from PR223 on Instagram. He says, I've always hated Roger Goodell, and I really hope it comes out where he's guilty. Always liked Chucky, and it was hard for me to believe that he did the things that he was accused of.
0: His name was on the email. Emails, seven or eight of them, Um, I I always got the idea that John Gruden, as great a coach and personality on TV as he was, was also looking down at the world, and that was just his ideology and how to operate, and that was a real problem for me. And I'll just spin back to what I said a couple of weeks ago. He wrote it. It was in his heart. He thought it, and then he wrote it. And now his NFL career is over. Now, how it got leaked, who's to blame for that leak? I don't know whether it was Goodell. I don't know whether it was Dan Snyder. I don't know if it was Damaris Smith, the head of the union, who was racially slurred by John Gurdon. obviously got out. But why would you do that in modern day society? Yeah. Why would you do that? It was in his heart, and that—that that to me is a terrible, terrible turnoff.
1: Yeah, it was crazy, and and we've always thought, you know, say what you will about his attitude, and he, we always thought he was a smart guy. But that was such a dumb thing to do—to not only you know be racist in 2023, but to put it in writing with your name on the email. I mean, what a what a dope for doing that. So, uh, but still, you know, here's a fan that loves Chucky but still is down on Roger Goodell. We're
0: talking about commissioners. There's a lot of fans that don't like Goodell. There's a lot of fans don't like any commissioners in sports. I understand that. That's where it is. <laughs> hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our Thursday podcast. We are here Thursdays. We do a Monday bonus podcast. Occasionally we'll let John in from left field. I wish I could show you the picture on my cell phone, John. It's 116 <laughs> degrees in my driveway. I believe you. 116. Uh, but listen, I want you to share. Go tell everybody you know about what we're doing on our podcast. Please sample my website. It's all written. We pour out a ton of information on my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a five-star rating. And tell all your friends. Share what we're doing. John, have yourself a great sports weekend. Why the hell are you wearing dark colors when it's 116 degrees outside? What's wrong with
1: you? I'm in the air conditioning,
0: so it's all right. (laughs) Hey, thanks for being with us. Have a great sports weekend. Thanks for being part of Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com.